you've had a had a good uh, afternoon and tomorrow a lot of people go back to work and back to school and back to that old uh, that old routine but it's that it's that time of the year i was i was uh yesterday morning i was uh sitting on my front porch it was it was kind of cool and it was actually cloudy uh at that time and uh you know how as as the foul weather slowly begins to get here and i know it's been very hot in the afternoons but you know how it just seems like the world's got a different look to it i know i know that that sounds silly but as i was sitting there on the front porch it just seemed like i thought to myself there's the some of the signs of foul weather it just seemed like i could just just see it there and so it it won't be far away uh, the leaves will be uh, the leaves will be coming off and uh We'll be having uh, Halloween and Thanksgiving before we know it. And so uh, time, time marches on, as the song says. The last couple of Sunday nights that I have uh, been in the, in the pulpit, I've talked about a couple of offbeat subjects, I guess. I talked about angels, and then I came back and talked about demons. And tonight, I want to talk about miracles. There are about three dozen miracles in the bible in the new testament that that we have the details on and by what i mean is we know the story uh, around those miracles there are many 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 more that are referred to and i i personally believe that jesus and his apostles i i think they did hundreds of them uh, in the first century i think hundreds of miraculous acts were performed. The purpose of the miracles was to confirm the word. Jesus needed to let the the Jews of his day know that he was the Messiah. I'm the person that you've been looking for all of these centuries, and this is my proof. Look at what I could do. After the establishment of the church, the apostles were carrying the gospel. They also needed some evidence to confirm that they were speaking for God. We are, we are bearing God's word now. And, and so that's what the miracles were for, to, to confirm the word. Uh, Mark chapter 16 tells us that very thing. Jesus is, has been crucified, he's resurrected, he's getting ready to ascend back to heaven here at the end of the book of Mark. In Mark 16 and verse 17, he says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Jesus is telling his apostles and his followers that this is, this is what you're going to be doing in the coming days. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. 
And so that was the purpose of the miracles. Remember, remember it was Nicodemus who came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we, we know you're come from God. Have to be, because nobody could do the things that you do except God be with him. Nicodemus recognized that. And that was the purpose of the miracles. It's important to note, and I pondered over when to include this in the message, but I'm going to go ahead and do it right now. Nobody can do that now. Nobody, nobody can perform miracles in our day. And I know there are, there are people who profess to be able to do so, but no one can perform miracles in the way that Jesus and his apostles and those who had those gifts passed to them by the apostles. No one today can do those things the way they did. I think, I think we, we throw around the word miracle rather loosely now. Sometimes we, we use it in a, in a medicinal way when someone uh, seemingly has, has come back from a severe injury or illness and, uh, and, and they have survived. Sometimes we might say, man, uh, did you see that long pass that they completed? Man, that was, that was a miracle. Or did you see that long shot the basketball player made? That was a miracle. We, we just, we, we throw that word around. And, and I can remember it was Bobby Baker. Bobby Baker was a good man. Uh, came to church at Bethel for several years. He was a very good man. But I remember leading a Wednesday night Bible class uh, at the other building several years ago. And I said this very thing that I just said to you, that nobody can, can do these kind of miracles now. And Bobby immediately challenged me on that. He told me a story about uh, someone he knew who'd been very, very sick, and the doctors had basically give her up, and she recovered. And he said that had to be a miracle. Well, I don't want to discount the power of prayer. Uh, James tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We need to pray for the sick. We need to pray for people who have been seriously, seriously injured in some way. Uh, if they are asking for our prayers, and even if they're not, if we know of someone in need of an, an effective, fervent prayer, we need to pray for them. We need to take them to our medical professionals. Modern medicine itself is an amazing thing. There are things that are available to us today that are just commonplace. That just a few years ago, when Terry Don and I maybe were, were in our teens or in our 20s, would have been unthinkable. Uh, there, there's no way those things could have been done. And now, now they, they do them every day. And so modern medicine itself is an amazing thing. If you combine modern medicine and the power of prayer, many times... People who are, are very, very sick, very, very ill, they will recover, and that's a great thing. That's not like those first century miracles. When Jesus performed a miracle, that person was better like that. They didn't need a hospital. 
They didn't need a doctor. They didn't need any recovery time. They were better immediately. When the apostles healed someone, they were better immediately. And so, so you see, many times these things seem like they're miraculous to us. And, and we use that word a lot. And I understand people mean no harm when they throw out the word miracle. I understand that. But nothing that happens today is the same as these first century miracles. The apostles, Jesus promised them before his crucifixion. He said, I'm going away, but I will send you a helper. And Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell on the apostles recorded for us in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. That gave them miraculous abilities. After that, the apostles themselves could perform miracles. And reading from the book of Acts, which is a history book for concerning the early church, Luke tells us that through what he calls the laying on of hands, the apostles could actually pass those miraculous abilities on to others. A good example of that is, is Philip. Philip was not an apostle. But Philip no doubt had, it's not recorded for us, but Philip no doubt had had those gifts passed to him. Because we find him in Acts chapter 8, and Luke says that he went to Samaria and he was preaching to those people and they, they just saw the, the unbelievable things that Philip could do. He could do miracles. And, and he did well there. Many of the Samaritans believed. They saw the signs and the wonders. They believed. They were converted. They obeyed the gospel. And then Luke tells us, that they sent for Peter and John, two apostles, so that they could pass the gift of the Holy Spirit to them. And so, the question that some folks might overlook is, why did they have to do that? Why didn't Philip just do it himself? I think it was because he couldn't. He had had it passed to him, but he couldn't pass it any further. The age of miracles was never intended to last. It was there during the first century to confirm the word. But even, even then, God, God never intended for the age of miracles to go on and on and on. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and we always think of this as, we call it the love chapter. And, and Paul, in, in the first few verses, focuses on on the importance of love. That, that is true. But I want you to notice what he says starting in verse 8. Love never fails. After talking about all the things that, that love is, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, that gift to speak in tongues, they will cease. Where there is Knowledge, that miraculous knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect 
has come. When the when the, the gospel has been delivered, the New Testament will be available to, to be studied. We can study the word for ourselves. When that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. And so God never intended for the age of miracles to last. And I, and I am convinced that when the apostles died, people like Philip who had had those gifts passed to them, when they all passed from this world, the miracle stopped. I, I am convinced that the age of miracles stopped at that time. And again, I understand. We, we see something that, that just seems so amazing to us. We, we want to say, man, that was a miracle. Pray. Take people to the medical professionals, absolutely. But it's still not the same as these first century miraculous deeds. In Matthew chapter 9, in just a few verses there, Matthew uh, raises a young girl from the dead, or Jesus raises a young girl from the dead. Uh, a woman is healed when she touches Jesus' clothing. Two blind men get their sight. And another man has a demon cast out. And at, at the end, at the end of, of Matthew, of Matthew chapter 9, if I can turn in my Bible and find it here. In, in verse 35, Matthew 9 and verse 35, Matthew says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And so, many, many miracles are referred to. We don't know the details. We don't know the whole story. But I, I believe that Jesus and the apostles did, I, I think, hundreds of them. In Matthew chapter 8, we find Jesus uh, coming in contact with a man who was possessed by demons. And he even has a conversation with those demons. They were speaking to him through that man. What, what have we to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of God, art thou come to torment us before the time? Those demons knew they had no chance against Jesus. They, say, they said, uh, just cast us into those swine over there. And, of course, the swine ran down the hill and drowned in the Sea of Galilee. Mark tells the same story in Mark chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus takes a, a very small amount of food and feeds 5,000 men. And Matthew says there that it was 5,000 men. It's very possible there were, there were even more people than that there. He feeds the 5,000 with a small amount of food, and they took up 12 baskets of what was left. An amazing miracle. And after he fed the 5,000, Jesus decided to go for a walk on the Sea of Galilee. He walked on the water. In the very next chapter, in Matthew chapter 15, we, we don't notice this one as much. But Jesus took a small amount of food and fed 4,000 men. Jesus performed some amazing miracles. And we do know the story. 
in those cases. I want to show you something in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I, I, I like this story because of, because of, of what we see. I, I've tried to picture it and what it must have, must have been like. Many times we picture Jesus as a kind of being uh, the Lone Ranger. He's out there all by himself and nobody wants to be around Jesus. Well, let's start reading uh, back up in verse 13. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and he heal and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were all healed. Notice verse 19. And the whole multitude sought to just, just, just touch him for power went out from him. And healed them all. We think Jesus was the Lone Ranger. Man, they was, he was thronged by people. They just wanted to touch him because of his miraculous abilities. In Luke chapter 7, Luke gives us the story of the widow of Nain. It starts in verse 11. Jesus comes upon a, a funeral procession. Is really what it was. A young man has passed away. Luke says he was the only son of a woman who was already a widow. And Luke says that Jesus had compassion on her. He raised that young man from the dead. In John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And we know that even before he got down to Bethany, he already knew Lazarus was dead. He let his disciples know as John records the conversation as they're traveling towards Bethany, Jesus knows that Lazarus has died and he also knows he's going to raise him. And sure enough, he did. He got to Bethany and raised Lazarus from the dead. There's a passage in, in Luke 5 I want to share with you right now. It's at the very beginning of Luke chapter 5. This is another miracle that I want you to notice. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, as we said, he, he was thronged to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That, that's the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. It's, it's kind of like a... A, a homemade, uh, a, a floating pulpit, you might say. A floating pulpit. Just a little off, off, the, uh, off the shore. He's up there above everybody else. And that's where Jesus preached. Now, let me show you what he did. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we, we caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. 
So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And Simon Peter saw it. Imagine how, how overwhelmed Peter was. He fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He, he was just overwhelmed by what he had just witnessed. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So many fish were caught. They'd worked all night didn't catch anything. Now they had so many, their boats were sinking. Look at one more. In John chapter 9, Jesus meets a, a blind man. And he wants to help him. And so he spits on the ground, makes a little mud, and cakes that mud over that man's eyes. And he tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And John says that he came back seeing. And so his blindness is healed. Jesus didn't need that mud. Jesus didn't need the pool of Siloam. Yeah, he could have done it on his own. But he gave that man something to do. He gave him something to do. You want to be healed? Then go down to the pool of Siloam and wash there. And I believe, I believe that's all that would have worked. I, I don't believe he could have washed anywhere else and received his sight. And it reminds you of the story of Naaman. Naaman had leprosy. Go dip in Jordan seven times. Naaman, I don't believe he could have, he couldn't have dipped anywhere else. Seven times, Jordan, and that's it. That's all it would work. There wasn't anything in the Jordan that cured leprosy. But God gave him something to do in order to have his leprosy cleansed. For us today, if we want to have our sins washed away, there's something for us to do. That is, repent of our sins. That is, confess our faith in Jesus Christ and be immersed in the waters of baptism. For the blind man, it was the pool of Siloam. For Naaman, it was the Jordan River seven times. For us, it is... Any, any body of water that we can find where we can be immersed. The blood of Jesus will touch us and wash away our sins. Tonight, if you've never taken that step, if you've never obeyed the gospel and become a Christian, you can, you can do that tonight. The blind man had to go to the pool of Siloam. Naaman had to go to the Jordan. You can go right here and be immersed in the waters of baptism and have your sins washed away. Come up out of those waters a new creature and a member of the Lord's church. You can do that tonight. Perhaps you have obeyed the gospel at some time in your life. You've not been as faithful as you should have been. We mentioned, uh, we mentioned Philip in Acts chapter 8. Well, one of his converts was a guy named Simon. And Luke says that Simon believed, and Simon was baptized. But Simon saw all those incredible things that, that Philip could do, and, and he wanted that for himself. 
And he tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter told him he no longer had partner lot in the matter because his heart was not right in the sight of God. Peter, Peter told Simon, he said, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart might be forgiven thee. Simon said, Pray ye to the Lord for me. That, that's what we still do. It's almost 2,000 years later, but we're still doing it the same way. If you've fallen away, repent of those sins, ask for the prayers of the faithful, be restored while we stand and sing.